0: in Galatians, again, the title of my message this morning is, some things are worth fighting for. Now, church, some things are not worth, worth fighting for, and some of you husbands know, some things aren't worth fighting about. You can either be right, or you can be happy. That's the saying about marriage. Some things are not worth fighting for, right? But some things are worth fighting for, and we're going to see uh, Paul talking about this morning, something that's worth fighting for is the gospel of grace. And so we're picking up where Paul talked about the gospel of grace in chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1 he talked about how he had this gospel of grace given to him by direct revelation by Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. It's not something he made up. So much so that he said, if you remember back in chapter 1 he said, I just went away for three years to Arabia, to the desert after this direct revelation the gospel of grace was given me just so I could figure this thing out with all my Old Testament scriptures and he did some analysis and some exegesis and some study of the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Lord gave him the direct revelation of what we have as the gospel of grace today. And so we're going we're to see Paul talking about this now. The first two, two and a half chapters basically talk about Paul's experience with the gospel of grace. And then after that, after, after today, he's going to go from the experience of the gospel of grace to the next couple chapters talking about the doctrine of God's grace, and then the last two chapters, chapters five and six of Galatians, talks about the the, the 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 application of God's grace. What does that mean? It means after you have the experience of God's grace, after you learn the doctrine of God's grace, now it's time to live out God's grace. How do you live it out? We're gonna see part of living out God's grace, Galatians chapter five, is living in the fruits of the Spirit. Living like Christ is living out the gospel of grace. And so we're gonna to see today we're still in this experience of God's grace in this last section we're going to be looking at today. So Galatians chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. Amen. If you didn't say amen, get there. Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up now in verse um, 1. And Paul says this, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that it went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had in vain. Now, here's what Paul's saying. is, is I, Fourteen years later, after his experience on the, on the road to Damascus of getting this gospel of grace, he's going back up to Jerusalem now to confer with the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. We're going to see the leaders being Peter and James and John. And he's trying to make sure that he's staying on course uh, with what he's supposed to say with this gospel of grace. And again, Paul was a fighter. He, liked, he, he wasn't afraid of a fight. I think Paul was the kind of guy that because of his fighting spirit, he actually didn't, he didn't mind getting in a fight every once in a while. Look at his missionary journeys. Wherever he went, there was either a riot or a revival. But wasn't afraid of a fight. And I know he's a fighter based on what he wrote in Scripture, too. Listen to what he said in Scripture. Um, a couple of instances, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I've fought the good fight. There it is. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And the future there's laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord of the righteous says will to me in that day. And not only to me, but also to love His appearing. Ephesians 6.12, another instance of his being willing to get in a fight with demons. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle, King James Version says, for our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Then 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, he says, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. Look at this, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So now Paul's going up to Jerusalem. And most scholars believe that this is referring to Acts chapter 15, which was the council of Jerusalem. And he's meeting here these apostles, Peter, James, and John. But he's also going to be meeting in Acts chapter 15 with these Judaizers that had come into his churches in the Galatian region and were polluting the gospel of grace. And Paul got in a fight with them in this, in this struggle with theology in Acts chapter 15. And if you want to read more about that, you could study how they, they went head to head, toe to toe. And the interesting thing is at the end of the whole scenario in Acts chapter 15, Peter stands up, Peter, and he says this, I believe, Paul's right, that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We're not going to lay this trip of the law and legalism on the Gentiles they were saved just like us by believing in Jesus Christ through the gospel of grace. And so Paul won this argument. And so that's what he's doing now, going up to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council with the gospel of grace. Now, verse three, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he's a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Again, these false teachers that were creeping into the churches that Paul planted after Paul would leave, were laying trips on people and saying, Hey, Paul says you're saved by God's grace faith. But really, if you really, really want to get saved, here's what you need to do. You need to get circumcised. You need to go back to the law, back to the old covenant. You need to become a Jew. And Paul says, "We didn't. Need, I, when I came, he said, we didn't even have my right-hand man, one of my main disciples, Titus, circumcised because Titus was a Gentile. He says he didn't need to be circumcised. He was saved through God's grace, through faith, just like we have been. So they weren't compelled to be circumcised. But if it was because of the false brethren, secretly brought in these these Judaizers who had sneaked in to spout our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Bondage to what? To the law. To the old covenant. To going back to you got to do this, you got to do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this if you're really gonna be saved. It's bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. See what Paul's fighting for there? What's he fighting for? It's the truth of the gospel. And again, some things are not worth fighting for, but some things are. And listen, church, Christian, listen. Fighting for the truth of the gospel, it's worth fighting for. And question, what's the, what's the gospel? Well, first of all, the word gospel means good news. And the good news of the gospel is this. You simply put, the truth of the gospel, we need to fight for it too, is simply this. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved. Through what? Through faith. That not of yourself, it's a what? Gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. You know why we need to fight for that? It's because in our human nature and in our culture, it's all about what we do. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? If you want something, you better work for it and you better earn it. But the gospel of grace is contrary to that. We need to stand for it too. It's not about what you do, the gospel of grace. It's about what's been. Listen, done. Jesus said for a reason on the cross. It is finished. Literally translated, paid in full. It's finished. And again, our human nature. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go to Calvary Chapel. I got to go to church. Don't stop coming to Calvary Chapel, please. But but at the same time, it's not going to save you. i got to get baptized. i got to be a better person. i got to do this. i can got to do that. No, that ain't going to save you. The gospel of grace, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. That in ourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord. Jesus Christ. I love Titus when he talked about this, Paul to Titus. He said this, Titus 3, 5-7. to He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Here it is. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not about what you do. It's about what's been done. That's the gospel of grace. And what do you need to do to receive the gospel of grace? Only one thing, faith. And how do you express faith to get the gospel of grace to save you? Romans ten nine: if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, there it is again, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's all. That's all you need to do. Don't pollute the gospel of grace. Fight for the gospel of grace like Paul did. Fight for the truth that it's grace and grace alone. It's faith and it's faith alone. And it's the word of God and the word of God alone. And let's stick with that. Let's not complicate things. Let's not be Judaizers. Let's not be legalists. Let's be people that just trust in grace and believe in grace. Stand on grace for our salvation and fight for it. Hmm. (laughs) What... Before I became a Christian in high school, one of my friends was actually from Korea, South Korea. His name was James Kong, great guy, uh, brown belt in Taekwondo. He saved my life one time. I almost got really in big trouble. And he, he anyways, I won't go there. But James Kong was, had a dad that was a pastor, and they had moved from South Korea to my town, Oak Park, where the Emmaus Bible School is at, because his dad was going to Bible college to be a pastor. And I remember James, I was one of the guys that was witnessing to me, was James Kong. And I remember him one time, I remember having this, it's like it was yesterday, this was 40 plus years ago, I remember having this conversation with him before I was saved. And he was trying to explain to me grace. And he said, John, I won't even imitate his accent, but he just said, John, he said, he said you didn't understand. You, for you to get saved, you just simply need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his grace. And I had grown up in this traditional church that was kind of dead and just Sunday school and stuff. And I just said, no, that's wrong. I said, I gotta follow the Ten Commandments. I gotta go to church. I gotta be a good person. He said, no, it's grace. It's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. And then after I got saved, I remember that discussion with him because he was trying to explain grace to me. And he was fighting for grace for me to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is, folks. It's just grace. And what does grace mean? undeserved merit and favor from God. I love Billy Graham's definition of grace, acrostic definition. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. And that's what Paul's fighting for now here in Galatians chapter two. Let's go on. And then he says this, verse six, but from those who are of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who have reputation contributed nothing to me. He's talking about the apostles. Peter, James, and John, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been, trusted, uh, been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Here's what Paul's saying, is my job was to bring this gospel of grace to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Peter's job and James and John's job was to bring the gospel to the Jew, to the circumcised. And then he says this for he who has effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship, verse 18, to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Here's what Paul's saying God worked effectively through Peter to the Jews. Do you remember Acts chapter 2? Day of Pentecost, Peter preached this one sermon. How many people got saved? 3,000 people in one day got saved and baptized. God worked very effectively through Peter. With the, with, the, with the circumcised, the Jews. But God worked very effectively also with Paul. Read the book of Acts. Three missionary journeys. Miracle after miracle with Paul, with the Gentiles coming to Christ. And started with the church of Antioch, and then went through three missionary journeys of people being healed and saved and touched and ministered to effectively through Paul and his missionary team. God worked very effectively through Peter to the Jews, through Paul to the Gentiles. Verse 9, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Ciphas, who's Peter, and John, who were reputed to be the pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles, and they might go to the circumcised. And they only asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was also here to do, that's interesting, because they said, okay, Acts 15, Council of Jerusalem, you're good your gospel of grace is good. Don't put any other burden on the Gentiles besides believing on Jesus by God's grace. But he also said, but they also told us, remember the poor though. Who were the poor? The church in Jerusalem. There's a famine predicted by Agabus, the prophet, and this, this famine hit, and the poor were the church in Jerusalem and the leaders in Jerusalem. And so Peter says, okay, go ahead, gospel of grace, but just remember the poor like us. And what Paul did is he, he did a Gentile church offering and brought it back to Jerusalem and blessed them by the Gentile churches to provide for the needs of the church in Jerusalem. Now, interesting here. Is Paul kind of disrespecting the apostles there? He's saying these guys were of high reputation. It doesn't matter what they were to me. But what, here's what Paul's doing. He's saying God is not a respecter of persons. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And just because they're apostles and disciples of Jesus, I didn't put them on a pedestal is what Paul's saying. In church, we need to be careful of that too. Sometimes we could put people that are of high reputation on pedestals and make them more than they are. All of us are just, no matter who you are, you're a sinner saved by God's grace. Don't be a respecter person where you put people on pedestals I have to face that sometimes. You know, I'll be out in the community, I'll meet somebody that watches our TV show at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday mornings or listens to our radio program on a radio station. Oh, Pastor John, I've been listening to you for years. And they start putting me on a pedestal. And my first reaction to that is, boy, you wake up early on Sunday mornings, don't you? 6.30 in the morning, watch me on TV? Wow, praise the Lord. But my second reaction is this, hey, don't listen. And I'll tell people this. I am just... One beggar showing the other beggars where the food's at. I'm just a, I'm just a guy that's trying to, to walk with the Lord, saved by God's grace. I ain't nothing but a sinner saved by God's grace. And that's what Paul's pointing here is with the Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter, James, and John, they were pillars. He says they're pillars, New Testament church, and they were in regards to, uh, uh, they, uh, look at it, Peter. Peter is the one that confessed Christ. And Jesus said, upon this rock, your confession of me is Lord and Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter went on to write First and Second Peter. Scripture by Peter. Peter went on to become a great missionary, primarily to the Jewish uh, world and did a great job. in regards. He died on a uh, he was to be crucified and said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be crucified, my Lord. And they, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be Crucified because he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Christ was. Hey, J- James, another example of a pillar of the New Testament church. He went on to become the senior pastor, probably of the Church of Jerusalem, most historians believe. And James went on to write a book called the Book of James. And he had got a nickname called Camel Knees because his knees were so calloused because of all the prayers that he would pray. Hourly he'd be praying on his knees, the half-brother of Jesus. Peter, James, J- John, another pillar of the New Testament church, great man of God also. John was the one that uh, was the apostle, the scripture says, who Jesus especially loved. Probably Jesus' best friend. John went on to be uh, uh, imprisoned on an island called Patmos. And in the spirit, in the Lord's day, he got uh, a revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. And he, got, he was brought up into heaven. Then he was shown the, uh, the great tribulation that was going to happen. And he wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So these guys were pillars of the New Testament church. But Paul's point is, I'm not going to put them on a pedestal. I'm not going to look at them as any different than any other man. We need to do the same with anybody. You know, the foot or the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? Don't don't put your eyes on people. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put put Jesus on the pedestal, right? Now, question. Let's talk about this gospel of grace that Paul was fighting for. Let's talk about what he was, he was worth fighting for. But before we do that, let me tell you something. There's some things that aren't worth fighting for with other Christians. we got to be careful with this. Sometimes we want to get in fights with other Christians about things that are minor doctrines and not gospels of, not, not uh, uh, doctrines of salvation like the gospel of grace. And there's people within this church that have some difference in, in some of these minor doctrines. And hey, we just need to agree to disagree on some of these things, Right? What are some things that aren't worth fighting for with other Christians? I'll give you some examples. How about Reformed theology versus Arminian theology? What's that? That's like Reformed theology says it's all God's sovereignty, all God's choosing us. Arminian doctrine says, hey, it's all our free will, and we've got to make the choice. Now, personally, I'm right in the middle. I believe that God does choose us before the foundation of the world, but I also believe that somehow there's a biblical tension with the fact that we're free will agents and we need to receive Christ. And I don't think we'll figure that out until we get to heaven, how those two blend together. But listen, we got some Reformed people that come to our church. I'm fine with that. If you want to be a part of the chosen frozen, that's fine. Just kidding. (laughs) I believe that there's some great believers, even in this church, that have more of a bent towards the Reformed theology. I'm not going to argue with them about that. I'm just saying, hey, go go with that. that's where your camp is, go with that. And there's other people that's more free will, more Wesleyan, Arminius, and they think it's more about just our choosing God. I'm fine with that. I'm not going to argue with that. Let's not pick a fight about that. There's other people in our church that have some differences in the area of uh, eschatology. What's eschatology? It's what's going to happen in these last days. There's some people in our church that I I would call uh, post-tribbers. What's post-tribbers? They believe that post-tribulation... Christ is coming back. And what that means is the church is going through the great tribulation. And I'm not a post-tribber. I'm a pre-tribber. I believe we're going to be raptured. But I'm looking forward to it, man. I I, I would like to hear that trumpet blow after the service and we're out of here. Beam me up Jesus today. And I believe believe the rapture is going to happen in our lifetime. Very good chance. And I'm praying for that. But if you're a post-tribber and there's some that come to our church that don't believe in the rapture, that's okay. I'm not going to fight with you about that. And, and hey, listen, if we start going through the great tribulation and the Antichrist comes on the scene, the temple gets rebuilt, and there's a one world leader, I'm going to change my theology. I'll be a post-tribber with, right with you then. But you know what? If we get raptured out of here, then you're going to change your theology. And if I change my theology as a, a pre-tribber or a post-tribber, I can still change. And I'll, I'll, I'll be right after that. If, if, if you get raptured out of here and you're a post-tribber, you're going to be wrong for the rest of eternity. True, right? But I'm not going to argue with you about post-trib or pre-trib. That's not a fight worth fighting, you know? And then there's other people that are cessationists. Cessationists believe all the supernatural gifts stopped, ceased in the first century after the apostles wrote the Word of God. And they look at the Word of God as the perfect has come, so tongues and prophecy will be gone. I I don't fall in that camp either. I think there's nowhere really you could say from the Scriptures that all the gifts ceased that are supernatural after the writing of Scripture. But you know what? hey, there's cessationists that come to this church too. I'm not going to fight with you about that. And let's not get into fights about that. There's some things worth fighting for and there's some things that aren't worth fighting for. But let me tell you something that's worth fighting for and I will go to the mat on. That's the gospel of grace. The gospel of the truth of the grace of God saves us alone through faith in Jesus Christ and it's only believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. We are going to fight about that if if you disagree. And you know What? There's three things to the gospel of grace I want you to be fighting for, too. First of all, it's not by our works that we get saved. we got to be out there. If we're going to be sharing that gospel with people, we got to tell them grace is undeserved, unmerited favor from God, and it's released in your life the moment you put a saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's nothing you do. It's what's been done on the cross, and we got to stick with that. That's very important. You know why? Because our culture is different. Nine out of ten people that aren't saved believe it's just being good or going to church or being better than the next guy that gets you saved. And that's not what the gospel of grace says. It's by grace alone that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not by our works that no one can boast. Here's another part of the gospel of grace we've got to stand for. Not only that it's undeserved, unmerited grace, but also the deity of Christ. And what the gospel of grace says this it says that Jesus Christ was more than a divine messenger, more than a teacher, more than just a great prophet. He was God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1.14, and the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, why is it important we fight for the fact, for the deity of Christ, for the gospel of grace? Because if Jesus Christ is not God, his death on the cross will accomplish nothing. It had to be God dying for man to bring forgiveness of sins to us. That's why 1 Peter 3.18 says, the just died for the unjust in order to bring us to God. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who knew no sin, God made Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we need to fight for that. Because every false religion out there, every cult out there, there's two things that characterizes them: they deny the deity of Christ. If you, the next time a Mormon or Jehovah Witness knocks on your door, ask him, "Is Jesus God? Is Jesus the Creator?" If they're honest with you, they'll say, "No, He's a Son of God, like we're Sons of God," and that's an affront to the Gospel of Grace. Because all throughout the Scriptures, it's very clear: Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's deity. He is, that's why he said over and over again, I am, I am, I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm in the light of the Lord because I am is the name of God. He's deity. He's God in the flesh. Two characteristics of any false teaching group or any cult out there is they deny the deity of Christ and they deny grace. They say, you gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do this. No, no, it's grace. Now the third thing we gotta fight for in this gospel of grace, hey, and this, this goes against the virtue and value of our culture. (laughs) And that's this, that Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am, again, statement of deity, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, right? Peter put it well in, in Acts chapter 4 as he was preaching the gospel of grace. He said, Acts 4, 12, there's salvation in what? No one else. No one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We've got to fight for that. Why? Because our culture, the chief virtue in our culture is tolerance. The chief virtue in our culture is it doesn't matter what you believe. Hey, we are the world. We're all sons and daughters of God. We're all going to heaven. God is love. He wouldn't send anybody to hell. Is that what the scripture says? No. No, 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 no. Does Scripture say that we're all children of God? No. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We have to go through this adoption process to become sons and daughters of God. And the adoption process moments happens at the moments we're born again by the Spirit through personal faith in Jesus Christ, then we're adopted into his family, and then we become children of God. It's very important we fight for this too because, hey, the church of Oprah <laughs> and, the, and the, the culture that's all around us is universalism. And you know what universalism is? Everybody's fine. Everybody's God's child. Everybody, everybody's going to end up in heaven but that's not what the Bible says. And you know what? The Bible does say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And you know what the spirit of the Antichrist is? It's universalism. What's the Antichrist going to do during the Great Tribulation when he comes back? He's going to set up his dominion, his world dominion, and he's going to make all religions blend together and there's going to be a one world religion and the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And it's a spirit of universalism. Everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. Everybody's going to heaven. It's not true. And if you want to be a friend to those that are lost, for goodness sake, defend that and be a person of truth. And if they ask you, hey, does it really mean that if I don't believe in your Jesus and receive him as my Savior and Lord, does that really mean that a loving God in heaven would send me to hell? Yeah. Yeah. And we need to tell people that because that's what the Scripture says. Scripture is very clear. There's only one way. The way is Jesus. And we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but we need to put our faith in Jesus or we will not make it to a place called paradise or heaven. We need to defend that. So first fight that Paul's in here is with the Judaizers that were saying circumcision, legalism works. And you go back to that, and Paul fought with them at this council in Jerusalem. Now let's look at the second fight. second fight Paul's gonna get in here, he's gonna get in a fight with Peter, the guy that walked on water with Jesus. The guy that wrote some of the scriptures, first and second Peter. the guy, The guy that... That made the confession of Christ, and upon this rock I will build my church. This confession. And Paul's about to get in a fight with Peter. I like Paul's chutzpah. He doesn't care who you are. If you're messing with his gospel of grace, he's going to confront you. And Paul, Peter's going to do some things here that were an affront to the gospel of grace. So Paul's going to get in a fight with him. Let's look at it. Verse 11. But when Siphus, Siphus is another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. That's the Jews. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Barnabas was Paul's discipler and he fell into this trap of hypocrisy too. But I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Cyphus, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, I want you to see something here. Paul is confronting Peter to his face in his hypocrisy. And one of the things we know about Peter is later he went to write the book of 2 Peter. And you know what he said about Paul? Paul is our beloved brethren, brother respected, beloved brother, listened to Paul, and not only that, he's written some of the scriptures, which is hard to understand by some of us because of the depth that he goes into the scriptures, but he wrote scriptures. See Peter there? Peter didn't take an affront to being confronted by Paul. He received it. And wise, according to the Proverbs, wise is the person that's open to reproof and rebuke, and in the multitude of many counselors, there's what? Victory. And you know what? If you're wise too, when you're getting confronted by a brother or sister in Christ in a godly manner, you'll listen and you'll make some changes also. But two things that Peter did that Paul had to confront Peter on, two things. I want you, we'll close this this morning. First thing he did was, was when, when he was in Antioch, this has changed now from a scene in Jerusalem to Antioch, the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas pastored. It was the missionary church that sent Paul out on his missionary journeys, journeys along with Barnabas. And when, when Peter came from Jerusalem to Antioch, he hung out with the Gentiles. And they had what was called agape feasts. Here in the south, we'd call them covered dishes. And the covered dishes included communion, agape feasts. And so now, now Peter comes from Jerusalem and he's hanging out with these Gentiles and he's having some good Sheleys barbecue and uh, he's not afraid to eat anything with these Gentiles because Jesus had declared all food clean and fair and good. He's just hanging out with the Gentiles. But then his Jewish friends came from Jerusalem. His Jewish friends came and what does it say Peter did? He stopped hanging out with the Gentiles at the covered dishes and he went over to his Jewish friends and he stood aloof from those Gentile believers that he used to have fellowship with, and he broke his fellowship with them. And Paul says, that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the word there is Hi- Hippocrates in the Greek, and it means this. It's being an actor that's putting on multiple masks. That's what hypocrisy is. And so what Paul was doing, or what Peter was doing was, hey, when the Gentiles were eating the Sheely's barbecue, he was hanging out with them and being fine with them. When the Jews came, he stood aloof from them, and then he acted in a different way with this other group of people who were the Jews. And Paul says, you're being a hypocrite, Peter. Stop it. Jesus declared all food clean. Stop playing this act and putting this mask on because your Jewish friends are here. So how can we avoid being hypocrites with this gospel of grace also? Hey, Christian, listen. Please listen. Christian, listen. On Sunday morning, if you're with Christians over here, and you're saying, praise the Lord. Got your hands lifted up. And I'll pray for you, brother. What can I pray for you for? But then on Monday morning, you get over here, and you're with people that don't know Christ and are lost, and you're acting just like them rather than being the Christian you're supposed to be, like on Sunday mornings. You're being a hypocrite, too. And you're being Sunday morning Christian and Monday morning worldly person. Can't do that. That's playing an act. I remember when we first started the church. I'm a golfer. I love to golf. And I remember I had a Monday off or whatever. Monday's my day off. And so I, I went over to the country club here and I jumped in with a group of uh, three other guys. And uh, I just jumped in with the group. And I could tell they were all in the same business together. And I could tell who the alpha dog was. His name was Ricky, and I could tell he was the leader of that business. And Then we got in the first, second holes of the nine holes I was going to play with these guys, and this Ricky, who was the leader of this business with these other two business guys that he was in business with, every other word was a four-letter word. Then he started dropping some really bad four-letter, I'm going, whoa, I felt like I needed to take a shower just because of the stuff that was coming out of his mouth. It was just filthy. It was awful then he was telling dirty jokes to these guys and everything else like that. And then we got about to the fourth or fifth hole, and the classic question came from Ricky to me. He said, hey, wh- what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I said, I said well, I'm, I'm the pastor of that church right across the street over there with the Jesus domes. And he looked at me, and then, I'll never forget what he said. I'll never forget it. This was 20-some years ago. He said, he said praise the Lord, brother. I go, are the same guy? Praise the Lord, brother. And I'm a part of so-and-so Baptist church and I'm very involved in the Sunday school there. I go, really? And I was a young pastor at the time. It was just 20-some years ago. I just kept my mouth shut. But if it was today, I wouldn't keep my mouth shut. I probably would say, well, why do you talk like a gutter then? Uh, and, and even when he was making good shots, those little words are coming out of his mouth. And you know what? That's hypocrisy, isn't it? It's like... Being like this at Sunday school and then being like this on the golf course. In Christians, that's an affront to the gospel. We need to be different than that. Amen? The Bible says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Let's be different than the world. Let's not become the world just because we're hanging out with people in the world. Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world around you. Change the world around you. That's what Paul is confronting Peter on with the hypocrisy, that he was one way with one group of people and another way with another group of people. But here's another thing he's doing that Paul was confronting Peter on. And we need to get this too. He was giving more value to one race of people, the Jews, versus the other race of people, the Gentiles. And as soon as the Jews showed up, he gave them more value than he gave to the Gentiles. And listen, church, get this, church. If you want to be a, not an affront to the gospel of grace that you're trying to represent, don't give one value more to one group of people than another group of people. And I don't care if we're in the deep south or not, racism is sin. When you treat one race better than another race, that's sin. That's not God's heart because God is not a respecter of persons. Very clear, Galatians chapter 3, when we get to it, it's going to say this, Paul writing, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male or female, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. Never give more value to one group of people than another group of people. And that's not only for race, that's for socioeconomic standing. When we get to the book of James, it says if if a rich person comes in, you put them in the front seat, and a poor person comes in, you put them in the back of the sanctuary, you're wrong. Don't treat one group of rich people better than a group of people that are rich. Don't treat one one group of people in regards to where they're from just because they're from, you know, one area or another. Don't treat them different either. Well, you ain't from around here, are you? Don't treat it just because they're a Yankee. And I know what a Yankee is that doesn't go home. I know what the name is for that. I got that. But one of the things I love about our church is we are a real... Uh, Mixed group here. Do you know that? We got a bunch of Yankees in this church, and we got a bunch of good Southerners in the church, and the amazing thing is we actually like each other. It's a good thing. I see it, I see it in U-Turn all the time, too. This, it's a real stretch in U-Turn because you got 40-plus guys living in double-wides over here and four different double-wides, and half of them are from New Jersey, and the other half are from the Deep South. And we haven't had any major fistfights. It's been awesome because they just they realize, hey, we're one in Christ, One of my favorite ladies is Condoleezza Rice. I don't know if you know anything about her. She was one of the president's assistants and on his staff and everything else like that. But she's an African-American lady that just rose to the top of her field. Just brilliant, brilliant lady. She actually went on to become uh, the first lady that was accepted into Augusta National as a lady member, which is the place where they do the master's. And she was one of the first ladies that got accepted over there as a member at Augusta National. And she is one sharp cookie, I tell you what. And I'll, n- I'll never forget her being interviewed in 60 Minutes. I was watching because I knew how smart and intelligent and sharp she was. And she, she, she was asked about this racism thing and everything else and being in the president's cabinet and everything and being a black woman. And she said, you know what I've learned? She said this, it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, she said, where you're from. It matters where you're going classic line, isn't it? it? doesn't matter your background, your race, your socioeconomic status. Hey, it doesn't matter where you're from. Here's the question. Where are you going? And as Christians, as Christians, it shouldn't matter what someone's race is. It shouldn't matter what their socioeconomic standing is. It shouldn't matter if they're from New Jersey or from South Carolina. We are all one in Christ. We need to treat each other equally because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if you don't, and you fall into the racism of our culture, if you fall into the, the treating rich people better than poor people, whatever else, if you fall into that, you're, you're bringing an affront to the gospel of God's grace. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. <laughs> Another story. We were just getting the church started, for a year or two in the church. And we had some great people in the church, wonderful people. And there's this one guy who's from Gilbert. And he was a good old boy from Gilbert. Great guy. I liked him. Prayed for his wife who was going through cancer. But I remember him coming into my office one office day. Came down and sat in the chair right across the desk from me. And he um, started telling me stories about Gilbert, was learning some things about Gilbert. I love Gilbert, by the way. Hey, if I had to do it over again, I'd move to Gilbert, start our family in Gilbert. I just love Gilbert. I love the schools there and stuff. So he was telling me about Gilbert and everything. And, and then he got on this role as a good old boy about saying some racist things. Then then he started using a word that is incredibly offensive to me that starts with N. More than once. After the third time, I stopped him in his tracks. It's only a year into the church. I stopped him and I said, hey, listen, you're in my office right now. Let me tell you something, that word that you've used three times now in our conversation is incredibly offensive to me, and I never want you to use that word again, ever in my office or in this church ever again. He looked at me like his mouth dropped, and then he walked out of his office, out of our office, and he never came to church again. And I, I was trying to be gracious in my confrontation, but I didn't want him to be using those racist words in my office or with anybody else in this church. And you know what? I wasn't, he never came to church again after that, but I wasn't disappointed that he didn't come back to Calvary Chapel because you know what? If he's using those words in my church office, what's he doing out in our town? And then if he's using those words and being a racist out in our town, and then someone asks him where he goes to church, and they say, well, I go to Calvary Chapel, what's that going to reflect upon us as people of God's grace and Christians? Amen? So, church, what did we learn this morning? There's three things we need to defend and fight for in the gospel of grace and the truth of God's grace. What are the three things? That it's grace, undeserved merit and favor. We're not saved by what we do, we're saved by what has been done upon the cross by Jesus Christ. Number thing, we, number two thing we need to defend in the gospel of grace is, is that Jesus Christ is <clears throat> He's God, deity. He is he is he's not just a divine messenger prophet or great teacher. He was the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was deity and the only way we could be saved is a just God, just God Jesus Christ dying on a cross for the unjust us so that he, we might be brought to God. And then the third thing we need to defend is there's only there's only one way. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. Stick with that. I don't care if the chief virtue in our culture is universalism and tolerance. Let's be people that stick with what Jesus said and not what the world says. And then two things. Two things in regards to not being an affront, a stumbling block to this gospel of grace. Don't act this way with people here at church or christians and then act this way with worldly people let's be different the bible says we are a royal priesthood a holy nation a people set apart for god's own possession that we might declare the excellencies of the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light so let's be holy let's not give into the standards of dirty jokes or dirty words or immorality or craziness like the world let's be different now does that mean you be perfect no good luck with that you won't be perfect but let's pursue holiness. Let's try to be different because we follow the person Jesus Christ than the rest of the world. And then lastly, let's not value one group of people over another pe- group of people because, hey, we're one in Christ. It doesn't matter a person's race or background or socioeconomic standing. Let's treat all people equally because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's be people that love all people. I love that little Sunday school song about God. Red, yellow, black, or white. They're all precious in God's sight. And all people should be precious to us too, amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that your word trains us in righteousness. Thank you that your word helps us to be people that represent your gospel of grace in a good way, in a way that will bring glory to your name, God. Father, help us to be people that are willing to fight for the truth, people that are willing to defend the truth, the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth that Jesus Christ is God, and the truth that we're saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us not to budge on that, Lord, because that's the gospel, and that's the truth of the gospel. And Father, I pray, too, that we'd be people that value all people just as you value all people, Lord. Help us not to treat some people better than other people. Help us not to put people on a pedestal, but help us also not to look down upon people just because they might be different than us. They might come from a different socioeconomic standing or a different place or region or a different race. Help us to love all people, God, because you love all people, Father. Father, we thank you that in Christ there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, because we're all one in Christ Jesus through our faith in him. God, help us even this week as Christmas is coming in the next couple weeks, help us to represent you well, Lord. We're your ambassadors. Help us to be people that are pushing in your presence and spending time with you so that you could be changing us to be those Christians you've called us to be. And Lord, thank you this morning for your gospel of grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you made a way for sinners like us to be forgiven and saved in the ways of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you're changing us, Lord. You're working by your grace to make us more and more Christ-like as we walk with you, Father. Thank you again for all your mercy, your grace, and your love. In this Christmas season, Lord, help us to shine brightly for your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen.